0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the head of the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation about what they do. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including voting rights, issues with Ohio's laws regulating the funeral industry, and racism in health care. And in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network, about a couple of bills at the state house, they're watching. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Katie Matney, who is the executive director of the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for talking to us. Everybody knows what the Columbus Blue Jackets are. What is the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation?
1: So the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation is the charitable arm of the team. We were established Same year, the team was brought to Columbus with the intention by the McConnell family to give back to the community um, as a reflection of the team values. So we're at the same age as the team, and in that time, I'm happy to share that we've invested $11.9 million in the community.
0: Wow, it's great. And when you look at the website, you can see what a well oiled organization it seems to be with many, many activities and uh, contacts. In relationships with the community,
1: yeah, we love to show up as a good partner for all of our community members. Um, we, the foundation, primarily does this through four pillars, which is pediatric cancer, specifically distraction through play health and safety, education through literacy, and of course, uh, growing the game of hockey. Um, So we love to be there for our partners in those ways, as well as other ways through support in silent auctions or our 50-50 raffle ticket sales night, anything that we can do to help Columbus be stronger.
0: A really strong focus on the youth in Columbus. Why is that?
1: that was the priority of the mcconnell family again when they established the foundation back in uh, 2001 Um, our mission is to support children age zero through 18 uh, to give them a strong start in life
0: and i think everybody's probably familiar over the years with stories news stories with uh, team members visiting kids in the hospital that's certainly uh, one of those areas that that really can touch a community
1: yeah, our our players are some of the best in sports. They're so generous with their time. And they're really personable and easy to talk to. We've been bringing the team to Nationwide Children's Hospital for years as part of our Hockey Fights Cancer initiative, which is actually a league-wide initiative. um, And how we show our support of the cancer community here in Central Ohio. And so, when you're able to bring the team to visit kids who are not able to leave the hospital it just brings such a smile to their faces and just makes everybody feel like you're doing something to make them feel good. Um, So our partnership with Nationwide Children's Hospital has been since the beginning. That also was a priority of the McConnell family when establishing this foundation and we've been able to show up as partners with Nationwide Children for many years either through grants that we support through our foundation or Bringing the team to them for patients who can't leave, or having the opportunity to bring patients to games as a nice distraction um, from what they're currently going through.
0: It's a a great diversion for the kids to focus on something other than you know what they face, and I would think very humbling and uh, and eye opening for the players as well
1: always uh, walk away with a positive experience from being able to visit the kids or hosting them at a game. Again, our players are so generous with their time, and it's another way for them to show up both on and off the ice.
0: Talking with Katie Matney, Executive Director, Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation. Well, for two years now, we've been going through this pandemic, and that must present uh, some unbelievable challenges for an organization like yours.
1: for everyone you know when the shutdown happened and you saw that there was immediate needs the foundation wanted to know what we could do and one of the things that we could do is use our resources that were available to us so we were able to host auctions that benefited some of our grant partners who were meeting the immediate needs of our community members for example uh, by hosting an auction that would raise money specifically for um, the Columbus Early Learning Center, which has been one of our longtime grant partners, they needed cleaning supplies as well as um, masks to pay for their child care uh, staff, and so we were able to raise money here and there to be able to buy for them to be able to buy those items. And we had a couple other grant partners that were able to benefit from those auctions as well. It was small, but it felt like we were doing something at a time when nobody really was sure what was happening. But as the pandemic went on, the foundation had opportunities and really great team partners to help us show up in a bigger way. So, for example, we were able to respond to the needs of our community by hosting a Spirit of Giving event. You know two of our biggest fundraisers of the year include our golf outing and the cannonball which is the party of the year where we bring over 600 people together to support the foundation but because of current circumstances we weren't weren't able to host those events so we had very gracious team partners who translated their gift from an event sponsorship to a direct donation to one of our grant partners who could really use the funding um, those partners included ADS, Delta Dental, Energy Transfer, Horizon, and Voris. Um We were able to raise over $55,000 for a direct community impact during the holiday season. Um, the Fifth Line continues to support the foundation in ways that we could help our community. One of the ways they did that because you know, without no games, we didn't have our 50-50 raffle ticket sales, um, and our auctions weren't as frequent as they typically are during games. Um, But we sold a charity bag, which was something we had done for the very first time, And these were one-of-a-kind bags that included exclusive CBJ and foundation items that raised more than $18,000 for children in central Ohio. So even though the pandemic took us down a path that nobody expected us to, the team partners and the community continued to show up for the foundation so that we could in turn show up for our grant partners.
0: Once things uh, begin to return to whatever the new normal is going forward, and, and there's many more events that are back in person, are some of the aspects of the virtual world, things that you'll hang on to and retain that you've learned can work for you?
1: I think so. I think there's a silver lining to the pivots that we had to make during the pandemic. One of those has been the ability to purchase 50-50 raffle tickets online. Mm -hmm. It's something that fans could do prior to the pandemic, but Once that was the only way that you could buy tickets, I think a lot more people started to do it that way, and that will continue regardless if you're in the arena or not. So I encourage folks to look into that as a way for them to buy their 50-50 Raffle ticket without leaving the comfort of their home.
0: When the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation gets involved in new endeavors, is that more often your organization reaching out to start something or might it be uh, somebody in the business community or a charitable organization that's reaching out to you?
1: They can show up um, as an opportunity in a variety of ways. Our traditional path is when we open our application process in the spring. Nonprofit partners who have a program that aligns with one of our four pillars um, can submit applications for funding, in which time the foundation team will review them and then submit them to our board of trustees for consideration and approval. Um, That's the traditional path that's usually taken. But oftentimes there are just organic projects that are the right thing to do to be a part of. And so we like to take the opportunity to make it work where we can so that we can be part of exciting things in central Ohio.
0: Talking with Katie Madney, executive director of Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation. So in terms of the pandemic and, and how you're trying to schedule things going forward in 2022, where are you at on that right now? Or do you not even know yet?
1: Well, you know, we're um, being optimistic and while well, being realistic. So we want to be able to bring people together just like everybody else does, but we need to do that at a time that's right. We have some events um, that would be great to be able to bring everyone together, but we want to make sure that we do it safely. Um, of course, moving forward, we're planning with best case scenario that we'll be able to bring a, bring a big group together, um, but also I think we've all learned the importance of pivoting when we need to to keep everyone safe. We were able to host our golf outing this past September, which has been a huge fundraiser for the foundation and also a really great day. Um, We were able to sell tickets to this event and have our players there to be part of foursomes um, because we were outside outside. We were able to host a really fun day that just happened to have really great weather at Double Eagle Golf Golf Club, Um, and it raised a lot of money for the foundation. That's an example of an event that we hoped that we could do it. We were prepared to have to adjust if we needed to, but because the circumstances were right and we could be outside and everybody could be safe, we were able to move forward with it, that event that raised over $200,000 for the foundation. Not a lot of league teams were able to do that, and so I feel really grateful for those opportunities when we can move forward with hosting an event.
0: That's fantastic. You know, when pro sports goes away like it did during the pandemic and when it returns, when the life returns to the arena district and you're talking about just an average of – 16,000 fans every time the Blue Jackets play and sometimes many more than that it's such a vital piece of the heartbeat of the community
1: yeah there's an energy to the arena when the Blue Jackets are playing that you just can't find anywhere else and it's the excitement of sports and bringing us together that just make it fun to be a part of um You know, sports is a great equalizer, and I think when we can come together, either in a professional arena, like what you have with the Blue Jackets, or even just on an open green field where you can throw a ball around or um, be with your friends, it brings a really important sense of community that I think only sports can do.
0: What about the efforts to, as you give back to the community, also sparking the interest of hockey in kids?
1: We have a lot of great ways to introduce kids to the sport of hockey. And as I mentioned earlier, one of our pillars is growing the game of hockey here in Central Ohio. For example, 20 years ago when the team was brought to Central Ohio, we had about 150 youth hockey players in Ohio that were playing the sport. Now we're over 3,000 when you consider all of the adult leagues and the youth leagues that Central Ohio has here playing. Um, The team's uh, initiative and that works in partnership with the league is to offer six enhanced programs including Goal, including Learn to Play that puts sticks in the hands of kids who might not usually have the opportunity to play the sport because of a variety of reasons but when they have the, when they're introduced to it and they play hockey and they learn to love it it's a great way to put them into the pipeline to someday get them on the ice and someday get them
0: competing that's great uh talking with katie Madney, executive director of columbus blue jackets foundation anything else you'd like to add
1: just that we really appreciate the foundation really appreciates the support of our fans and members of central Ohio when they purchase the 5050 raffle ticket or participate in our auction um, they're supporting the foundation those are dollars that go to support those nonprofit partners who align with our pillars um, another way that the foundation loves to give back is through our high school scholarship hockey scholarships that we currently have available um, there's actually two one is the John H McConnell Scholarship that was made in memory of our founder, John H. McConnell. And then there's also the High School Hockey Scholarship. For listeners who are interested, the application is available to consider applying. Um, For any qualifying senior, um, they can be found on our website, bluejackets.com slash foundation.
0: Okay. And for folks uh, who are interested in the activities that you take on throughout the year, what should they be watching for coming up? they're always encouraged to go to our foundation website, bluejackets.com
1: slash foundation. When they're on there, they'll learn more about our pillars and specifically the nonprofit partners that we fund. Um, They'll be able to see applications for those scholarships as well as our past community report. In terms of what lies ahead, like I mentioned earlier, we're optimistic that we'll be able to bring folks together um, for a spring event. Um, we're also having conversations with our alumni association where they're host- hoping to have an event that'll benefit the foundation as well. And then we have our nonprofit grant application that'll open in mid April. Um, and we encourage folks to take a look at it and see if it's something that they're interested in and then reach out if they'd like to have further conversations about it. Um, additionally, if Folks are having a fundraiser to benefit their foundations or their nonprofits, and are interested in memorabilia. We have an in-kind donation form on our website that they can look at as well. Can follow us on social at CVJ Gives Back to hear more about what's going on.
0: Outstanding, Katie Madney, Executive Director, Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation. Uh, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you for your interest. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks for listening.
3: We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat.
4: This is weight bias. I'm worried about your weight.
3: Don't you care what other people think? Millions who live and are affected by obesity face weight bias every day.
5: You're not the right fit for this job.
3: Unfair judgment by others. Just stop eating so much and exercise some. You lose all this weight.
1: These people often blame themselves. It's just me.
6: Nobody likes me.
7: I do exercise and eat right.
8: And I talk to my doctor.
6: Weight bias hurts. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Your words and actions matter. Let's stop weight bias. Let's work together.
1: Be part of the solution. Go to StopWeightBias.com and learn more. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. (laughs) We'll be right <laughs>
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Coming up at about 45 minutes after the hour, I'll talk with someone from the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network about a couple of bills at the state house they're watching. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
4: suffering uh, under partisan
1: gerrymandering
9: since the 1970s. It's back to the drawing board for Ohio lawmakers, and the clock is ticking to pass new district maps. And the U.S. Supreme Court blocks part of the Biden administration's vaccine mandate, what Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost has to say about the decision. And federal help is on the way for Ohio hospitals, why doctors and nurses say they couldn't be more stressed. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. Today, I'm Tracy Townsend. The Supreme Court of Ohio ruled the new redistricting maps for... Ohio's House and Senate districts must be redrawn, and lawmakers only have a matter of days to do it. In a 4-3 decision, the court ruled the maps are invalid because they don't match voter preference. The maps set the boundary lines for the 99 House seats and 33 Senate seats. They will be used for the 2022 elections. Still, the plaintiff in this case, the League of Women Voters, is happy with the ruling, but says the fight is not over yet.
5: We're asking everyday Ohioans to call the commissioners and tell them what they want their map to look like. Uh, Ask for fair maps um, and we will be at all those hearings. Um, And then if the map that is
1: adopted is unfair, that's presented to the Ohio Supreme Court, we will work with our experts and legal team to make that case to the Ohio Supreme Court that that map still
9: doesn't meet muster. We talked with Lieutenant Governor John Husted right before the decision came down. He said the state will comply with the decision.
7: I was a close observer to what was happening. Uh, Governor and I really tried hard to bring the Democrats and Republicans together to come up
10: with a bipartisan compromise. Uh, it, it, It proved at the
5: 11th hour not to be possible.
9: Governor Mike DeWine sent us a statement saying he will work with the commission on revised maps that are consistent with the court's order. 10TV's Kevin Landers asked the governor about this issue at the end of last year.
2: Congressional redistricting maps that you signed into law raises questions about whether you're really interested in what's better for the greater good of Ohio Ohio or just your party maintaining political control. As governor, what makes sense about these maps to you?
5: Well, in regard to the state legislative act,
2: maps and in regard to the
5: congressional maps. If you look at what was presented and you look at what the Constitution required, um, the maps that were presented by Republicans better complied with the Constitution. Things such as, you know, uh, cutting down on the number of counties that are split up uh, and other things in there. So if you look at that, that's that's why you know, I signed the bill, for example, in regard to the, the uh, congressional uh, seats.
9: U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown referenced the state Supreme Court decision when he was talking about voting rights as a whole, an issue that was in the national spotlight this week.
7: It's really important that Congress stand up for voting rights. I, I think what's happened is far too many politicians and a whole lot of them in Ohio have decided that, that they should choose, politicians should choose their voters rather than voters choosing their elected officials. You saw the best example of that this week where a Republican chief justice of the Supreme Court said no to the arrogance of redistricting, of gerrymandering, said no to the arrogance of politicians who think they should choose their voters rather than voters choosing their elected officials. And um, that's why it's important nationally that we pass voter st- voting standards so that politicians who don't mean well in these cases, who are all in search of more power, and that's not uncommon in this business and in this city, um, that, that, you know, that, that, that it's important that, that, we, that, that voters get to choose their elected officials rather than the other way around.
9: Congresswoman Joyce Beatty traveled to Georgia with President Biden to promote voting rights legislation, and she gave a passionate speech on the House floor, pushing for the Senate to move forward with the bills.
6: I stand here today in support of the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Act of 2022, because black people representing the Congressional Black Caucus have stood in line, have been attacked by dogs, have put their lives on the line, crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge for us to have the right to vote.
9: What's happening at a national level is also sparking conversations about Ohio's voting laws. 10TV's Richard Solomon explains what lawmakers in our state are trying to
6: accomplish. You can always learn a lesson, even in a place where you least expect to learn it. It's called a back in the day, something that people can always reflect back to. In Al Edmondson's barbershop, a cut above the rest in Columbus, all you have to do is look up. People took advantage of voting. There would have been lines of people waiting to go into the um, King Arts Complex. The message of using the 15th Amendment is something Edmondson preaches that roars louder than his clippers. He's helped numerous people in the community get registered to vote and get to the polls, through the Styling for Democracy Now Vote program with the Ohio Secretary of State office. We're preaching to the younger generation is that your vote does count. He's kept an eye on two key national voting rights bills. One would update the 1965 Voting Rights Act and demand states with a history of discrimination to remove and change election laws. The other would require all 50 states to offer at least two weeks of early voting. Voting should be easy anyway. Anything that can help make the voting process for everybody, I'm for it. But House Bill 387 aims to change voting laws in Ohio. If passed, the bill would require voters to have a state-issued photo ID in order to vote. It would also eliminate no-excuse absentee voting and prohibit the use of ballot drop boxes. We reached out to some of the state representatives who sponsor and support the bill, but we haven't heard back. Mindy Hedges, a member of the League of Women Voters in Ohio, says so many have fought for the right to vote. She believes this bill could make that right harder.
5: We have to allow everybody the opportunity to vote. And if you don't give them options to make it easier, then they give up and giving up is not an option.
6: For Emerson, he hopes to look at this mural one day and see it again in the community. It would represent how people knew that their vote counted, and they were willing to wait and wait and wait as long as they could. In Columbus, Richard Solomon. 10 TV News the last action on House bill three hundred and eighty seven was back in
9: September when it was referred to the House Government oversight Committee the u s Supreme Court partially struck down president biden 's federal covid nineteen vaccine or test mandate. Large businesses will not be required to mandate employees, get vaccinated or tested weekly. However, the vaccine mandate for certain health care workers remains in place. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is one of many who filed a suit against the mandate. Yost says the ruling isn't exactly what he wanted, but he has to abide by it.
4: The takeaway here is uh, that these are not political decisions. These are legal decisions that turned on the justices' best interpretation of the legal uh, questions presented to them. Ohio
9: Chamber of Commerce President Steve Stivers says he's pleased with the
4: decision. Well, we're excited that uh, businesses won't have to spend money complying with a, a requirement that may in a week or a month, be determined to be unconstitutional. So uh, we think there should be certainty uh, about whether it applies or doesn't apply before people spend millions of dollars to start to comply with it. People on social media are claiming that
9: two United States Supreme Court justices have spread misinformation about flu death rates and child COVID-19 hospitalizations. We called in our Verify team to help clear this up. Here's Ariana till.
3: Headlines and Reddit threads accused two Supreme Court justices of making false claims. The claims stemmed from when the justices were hearing oral arguments over Biden's vaccine mandate for federal workers and those employed at large companies. Some news outlets reported that transcripts of the hearings quote Justice Neil Gorsuch saying hundreds of thousands of people die from the flu every year and that Justice Sonia Sotomayor claimed 100,000 kids with COVID-19 are in serious condition. Several viewers emailed Verify requesting that we fact-check those claims our sources are c-span's recording of the oral argument supreme court transcripts the centers for disease control and prevention the department of health and human services and the american academy of pediatrics here's the audio snippet from justice gorsuch that people are referring to
7: we have flu vaccines and flu kills i believe hundreds of thousands of people every year
3: In the Supreme Court's original oral argument transcript, Gorsuch is quoted as saying, we have flu vaccines, flu kills, I believe, hundreds of thousands of people every year. However, the Supreme Court released a revised transcript a few days later. In that transcript, Gorsuch is quoted as saying, we have flu vaccines, the flu kills, I believe, hundreds, thousands of people every year. So we can verify, no, Justice Gorsuch did not claim that hundreds of thousands of people die from the flu each year. He said hundreds.
7: We have flu vaccines and flu kills, uh, I believe, hundreds of thousands of people every year.
3: So how many people actually die from the flu each year? Well, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the highest number of flu deaths in the last 10 years was during the 2017-2018 season, with an estimated 61,000 deaths. Viewers also asked us to look into claims that Justice Sonia Sotomayor said 100,000 kids with COVID-19 are in serious condition. Take a listen. We have over 100,000
9: children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition and uh, many on ventilators.
3: If a patient is in serious condition, they should be hospitalized. Johns Hopkins Medicine describes a patient in serious condition as being, quote, acutely ill with vital signs that may be unstable and not within normal limits, unquote. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, there are 580,000 new child COVID-19 cases reported as of last week. However, only a small fraction of them are serious cases. An average of 830 children ages 0 to 17 were admitted to the hospital every day during the week of January 2nd to the 8th of 2022, according to the CDC. Data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services shows that as of January 10th, 2022, 4,661 children were hospitalized with suspected or laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 cases. So we can verify Justice Sotomayor's claim is false. There are not 100,000 kids with COVID-19 in the U.S. in serious condition. With your Verify, I'm Ariane Till.
9: Have a claim you would like us to verify? Let us know. Email verify at 10tv.com. Silicon, how the state plans to use $115,000 to fight human trafficking, plus a disturbing discovery inside an Akron church. It's raising questions about Ohio's laws
4: on Cremains. There are no words to describe it. The isolation, the boredom, the loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the Ohio High School Athletic Association and the Ohio Interscholastic Athletic
0: Administrators Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
9: We continue our coverage of the man accused of running an illegal funeral business in Ohio. The cremains of 89 people were discovered after the state filed a search warrant on an Akron church run by a Columbus man. 10TV's Kevin Landers is following the Shante Harden case and explains what new charges Harden will face and why this is raising questions about our state's laws on cremains.
2: These photos are from inside the Greater Faith Missionary Baptist Church in Akron, where Shante Hardin was once pastor. A woman who identified herself as an urban explorer took them and provided them to 10TV. She says while she was taking photos of the vacant church, she noticed a door was open and went inside. Later, she told investigators she saw boxes of suspected cremated remains of people. Based on what she told investigators, a search warrant was filed and executed. Investigators discovered the cremains of 89 people. The state believes Harden committed the crime of abusive corpse. I spoke with Harden's attorney about the cremains. He said they came from a prior funeral director who has since died, and Harden knew the cremains were inside when he took over the church. I think it
5: would be different if he discovered them. When they're given to him, uh, I don't think he probably has a chain of title to him, but he was holding him for acquaintance and didn't think too much about that. And I'm sure he didn't think they were going to be there six years later.
2: Under Ohio law, there is no requirement for a funeral director to notify anyone about the unclaimed remains. There are no rules in Ohio that state where cremains can be stored. Funeral directors are not required to tell the state if they have cremains, according to the state's executive director of the Board of Embalmers and Funeral Directors.
5: Generally speaking, I'd assume that there's going to be nobody showing up and it probably is time to put them in the ground.
2: Investigators found the boxes of cremains placed in white cardboard boxes and plastic bags, and some of the boxes reflected dates back to 2010. The name Tri-County Cremation Service was on the boxes. The woman who discovered them tells 10TV she placed rosaries and flowers over the boxes of the cremains. 41-year-old Shante Hardin of Columbus already faces 44 criminal charges out of Lucas County for operating an illegal funeral home, abuse of a corpse, and representing himself as a funeral director among among other charges. His attorney called the case against his client malicious prosecution. Do you think that Shante was portraying himself as someone he was not as pertains to these funerals?
5: If if you're going to, the issue is, was he telling people he was a licensed funeral director? Of course not. Do I think those people are lying? No. They come to Shante at a terribly emotional time in their life. Their loved one has just died. And they, like most of us, don't know anything about the funeral business. And they assumed and expected to hear that he was a funeral director. And whatever he said, that's the way they interpret it. They're not lying; they're just confused.
9: And again, that was Ten TV's Kevin Landers reporting. Now. Under federal law, if a funeral home has unclaimed cremations of a veteran, the funeral home is supposed to call the Department of Veterans Affairs, where the remains are supposed to be buried at a veteran cemetery at no cost. We know of at least one of the remains found at that church was a member of the U.S. Air Force who died back in 2020. So-called John schools are coming to Ohio. Attorney General Dave Yost announced this week that $100,000 will go toward creating a guide for courts and communities to teach sex buyers the ugly truth about human trafficking.
4: Sex buyers need to understand that they are the reason for the existence of the human trafficking market. We all know the rationalizations that perpetuate this sexual oppression. It's just a business transaction between a willing buyer and a willing seller. It's a quote unquote victimless crime. She's participating voluntarily. It's just her job. Sex buyer education torpedoes those lies and shows the buyers of sex the ugly truth about the market that they encourage and support with their actions and their dollars. Forces them to look at the drug addiction, the violence, the child abuse and the degradation that they're responsible for. It. We lay it all at their feet.
9: This comes after the passage of House Bill 431, which created legal sanctions aimed specifically at sex buyers, including stiffer fines and a requirement that offenders attend John's school. Columbus crew is getting ready for sports betting to go live in Ohio. The crew announced that it will partner with global sportsbook operator Tipico. This is all pending license approval, but if it goes as planned, crew fans will be able to bet through the Tipico app when sports betting again goes live in our state. The governor signed sports betting into law late last month. As the Omicron variant of COVID-19 continues to spread through Ohio, more help is on the way for hospitals here. How the Biden administration is helping and the role you might be able to play in the solution.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management or sponsors.
5: Vision loss. Vision loss. Is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from
6: diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million
1: people in the United States have macular degeneration.
11: So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked.
5: Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
9: The state of Ohio is on a list of states to receive federal help to fight COVID. 10TV's Brian Somerville explains why this is needed and what you can do to do your part.
10: President Joe Biden announced six states, including Ohio, will be receiving federal help to alleviate record-shattering hospitalizations due to COVID-19. This support will help them open closed beds and be able to accept or transfers. Ohio Department of Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff says a team of 20 U.S. Air Force medical professionals will arrive at the Cleveland Clinic, an appointment that could last a couple of months. Adding the extra staff, he says, will benefit the entire region, helping to supplement the efforts already in place by current staff, as well as the National Guard that Governor Mike DeWine requested last month. The biggest issue, the president says, those who are vaccinated tend to have mild to no symptoms at all, while the unvaccinated are 17 times more likely to get hospitalized. As a result, they're crowding our hospitals, leaving little room for anyone else who might have a heart attack or an injury in an automobile accident or any injury at all. Dr. Vanderhoff saying COVID has already claimed the lives of more than 30,000 Ohioans. He urges everyone to continue to take it seriously, to get vaccinated, and to wear masks. COVID-19 is not going away. And Omicron is not just a little cold for everyone. Bryant Somerville, 10TV News. The
9: other states getting help. Michigan, New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and New Mexico. As hospitals battle COVID cases, there is another battle brewing across the state and the country. We're talking racism and discrimination in healthcare. Leaders from across our state came together to address the issue. 10TV's Brittany Bailey reveals what they discovered. COVID may be top of mind in hospitals across our state, but that may not be the only challenge. There's more than sufficient evidence to classify our healthcare systems, including our hospitals, as racist and demonstrate that racism has been intentionally institutionalized and continues to manifest in disparate and negative outcomes for marginalized populations in this country. Four groups, including Universal Healthcare Action of Ohio, teamed up to survey more than 800 people about discrimination in healthcare,
10: over and over again. Uh, most um, uh, though those in the community um, suggested and even spoke to experiences that proved uh, reasons for distrust and a need to repair the breach uh, between uh, the hospital systems and the community um, and to establish a better pathway uh, of outreach, more than just symbolic or ceremonial, but substantive.
9: In the survey, Black people were more likely to report discrimination, a lack of respect, poorer service, and having symptoms dismissed. And the most common reactions were not returning for another appointment or accepting this treatment as a fact of life. This is saying what we've done for 30, 40, 50, 200 years has not worked. It's a crisis. And now it's time to put some Momentum behind what we know to be true. And now we have proof of that. Now, the goal is to spread these survey results far and wide and demand action. We're calling hospitals, we're calling the government, we're calling the city, the states, the local health departments to action the, because this is what it's going to take. Someone has to take action. And it can't just be, oh, well, we did this little thing and it's great. Mm-mm, we need millions of dollars behind this. We need hospitals to be held accountable. We need someone to put it in place where they can be held accountable for the things that have been brought to our attention. Brittany Bailey, 10TV News. We have a link to a detailed breakdown of the survey results and how the data was collected posted with this story on the 10TV app. You can get some help covering the cost of heating your home. Ohio is getting $367 million in home energy assistance money from the federal government. Most of that money is coming from the American Rescue Plan. You could qualify depending on your family income or if you've had COVID-19 in the last 12 months. State Representative Dontavious Geralds from Columbus says this is an important change
11: from years past. We understand that with COVID, there's so many families who have had to miss work, um, you know, or they have, they have a loved one who was sick and they had to stay home because they were in proximity of someone who had COVID. And so when we think about individuals who are uh, impacted by COVID, we wanted to make sure that, well. I would say the federal government wanted to make sure that we are providing assistance to those families who need it the most. There is a chart actually, if you go to development.ohio.gov, uh, with and you click on the HEAP uh, tab, you're, you're, you'll get access to every uh, uh, breakdown of family unit, but also how much money are you going to receive and how to actually apply for this assistance. I encourage every person, every person who qualifies to please take advantage of this program. It is going to make a difference for you. It's gonna make a difference for your family. And we want every family to stay warm this winter.
9: To find out if you are eligible, go to 10TV.com slash featured links. Thank you all for being here with us today. Remember, if it affects you and your family, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
5: Before I was adopted, I felt like nobody wanted me. I felt like my life was already over.
0: At a certain age, they don't want you. You're
11: troubled and stuff. Even if I wanted to be adopted, who would adopt a 17-year-old? Inside, I knew, like, I'm not a troubled kid. I know what I'm in for, why I'm here. My biggest fear was that I would age out and not know how to be sufficient on my own.
7: I had nightmares every single day at my birth mom's house. It was... Just really scary for me living there.
11: I was scared. I was lost and I felt hopeless.
1: I felt like, don't I deserve to feel happy and loved?
11: I just wish I'd gotten adopted sooner.
1: Unfortunately, the number of children waiting to be adopted from foster care is on the rise. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is the only public nonprofit charity in the U.S. focused exclusively on foster care adoption. You can help. Go to DaveThomasFoundation.org to learn more.
3: Neil Armstrong waited 6 hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council.
5: There's a place
1: to share the joy of your team winning it all. And a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit part.org/ slash sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association.
6: I want to be a doctor because that's a really important job. I would help kids get better and make everything super fun. I'd have a cool waiting room with games, toys, and a huge TV.
10: If your child is sick over and over again, it could be PI, a serious defect of the immune system. Early testing gives children a chance to dream. And
6: I'll give every kid a cherry lollipop because that's the best flavor.
10: Jeffrey Modell Foundation, helping children reach for their dreams. Visit info4pi.org.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Leo Almeida, who is the Ohio Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the uh, Cancer Action Network is.
8: We are the um, policy affiliate of the American Cancer Society. Um, so we work on a variety of issues Um from uh, local, state, and and federal government um, that impact cancer patients and survivors. Um, We do a lot of uh, policy work to help fund um, cancer research and um, other um, uh, ways to to help um, uh, people who are fighting cancer.
0: And we're going to talk about some legislation that you've got your eye on. This has certainly been a troubling, stressful time for cancer patients in Ohio and, and really around the world.
8: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right, everyone is, is, um, you know, taking careful precautions around, um, the COVID pandemic. Um- in their own personal daily lives, but especially for cancer patients, it's very concerning. Um, and even cancer survivors, not just cancer patients, um, anyone with a, um, a condition that makes them immune compromised um, has to be very careful because if they do um, contract COVID-19, um, it can be really, really detrimental to, the, to their health and um, could... Uh, You know, unfortunately, find them in the hospital and even facing a really critical condition.
0: And that's one of the things, you know, that whole the whole mask debate, uh, wearing a mask and everything, is you can be around folks like that, and there would be no outward indication that they're compromised
8: especially if it's you know an n95 or uh, any other type of specialty um facial protection um certainly helps you know lower the risk of spreading COVID-19 um and you know everything that we've been hearing since the beginning of the pandemic right washing your hands being um six feet apart from people if you don't don't need to be you know close to them all those things can certainly help us protect cancer patients
0: what are some of the things going on at the state house that you're watching um, so, a couple of things.
8: One um, is House Bill 135. Um, we call this the copay accumulator bill. Um, for us, this is really important because uh, we see a lot of uh, cancer patients and survivors who. Um, Unfortunately, have a large out-of-pocket cost for um, treatments and for um, their prescription drugs, and so um, you know we're seeing some some folks um, who who are looking at you know a hundred to five hundred dollars even for um, a copay for a monthly prescription. Um, That's really expensive, right, for some people, and um, unfortunately they need, you know, those, those monthly um, prescriptions. And so uh, some of them have the ability to take advantage of something called a, a copay um, coupon uh, from the manufacturer of their prescription. Um, the copay coupon essentially Covers the cost or lowers the cost of their copay. So, let's say, for example, it's a hundred dollar copay for someone's uh, prescription. Um, the copay card might make it only ten dollars a month. Um, so they're, you know, saving ninety dollars when they go to to purchase that that monthly prescription. Unfortunately, um, that doesn't count towards their deductible or out-of-pocket costs um, with their insurance provider in most cases. Um, So uh, once they, they reach their maximum, they're still having to... To pay that um, later on down the road, um, so this bill will essentially allow for copay um, cards and, and coupons um, to benefit the patient. Um, so if they use one of those, it will count towards their deductible right away. You know, if you think about, um, you know, we just started a new calendar year, right? So everyone's deductibles reset. Um, if you, you know, let's say you have a thousand dollar deductible you'll reach that deductible much quicker, right, if your copay card um, also counts towards that deductible. If, if this bill passes, it will reduce um, financial burden of prescription drugs for patients, um, because those, those coupon cards are still, it's still helping to provide the out-of-pocket expense, right, um, but the patient then has the additional benefit of it applying towards their deductible.
0: In the uh, information that you sent uh, prior to the interview, you mentioned that this passed out of committee clear back in March of last year, but it hasn't been brought to the floor. Why would that be?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, We are certainly
8: trying to figure that out. Um, you know, it, not only did it pass committee uh, in March of, of last year, but it passed unanimously. So all the Republicans and Democrats on the committee voted in favor of this bill. Usually when that happens, we see a pretty quick turnaround of the bill then going to the floor uh, for a vote. Um, Why this got hung up, we're really not sure. Um, You know, certainly the insurance companies um, have something to say about this. Um, it, It impacts them directly. Um, So that could have been why this got hung up Um, that that still isn't uh, certain for us. But, you know, the longer we wait to pass this, um, the longer it'll take for um, Ohioans to benefit from this. And unfortunately, you know, during the covid pandemic, um, it's not just people's health that has been impacted. It's also their uh, financial well-being. Um, And we have. Ohioans who are on very expensive prescription drugs, who are making decisions about whether or not to put food on the table for their family or to fill their monthly prescription.
0: Talking with Leo Almeida, he is the Ohio Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. There was recently federal legislation passed to end surprise billing, which I, I would guess is a huge problem for cancer patients who may be bouncing around different hospitals and doctors and such is that is that going to be helpful
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely, right,
8: Um, so especially when we think about uh, cancer patients, but anyone with um, a serious uh, condition or a chronic condition, um, they spend a lot of time in the hospitals, they spend a lot of time uh, paying for uh, medical appointments, Um, and so the surprise billing measure would be very beneficial to not only cancer patients, but all all of the people who are facing these types of
10: conditions.
0: And somebody who long-term is battling cancer, they they can just get snowed under a mountain of paper that, you know, some of it is a bill, some of it looks exactly like a bill, but even says on it that it's not a bill. But, you know, if if you're getting flooded with all that information, it's just overwhelming at the same time you're battling a disease.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, if you think about someone who's currently going through um, uh, cancer treatment, um they're probably exhausted physically, right? Um, Just getting through the treatment. Um, The last thing they want to do is to have to, you know, pour over medical bills and paperwork to read, you know, line by line uh, what expenses um, have to be paid for and covered. Um, And if, you know, hopefully they, they have a caregiver that can help them do that, but their caregiver's main priority is You know that person's health, Um, and so they're going to also have to factor that in, right? The time that they have to then spend on on uh, looking over medical bills.
0: Right. Uh, What else uh, is going on at the state house that has your interest?
8: Yeah, another issue that we're following carefully um, uh, is uh, House Bill Two Eighteen or. Um, any of the other uh, vaccine bills that have been introduced. There's been quite a few of them. The most recent one was House Bill 218 that, that passed the House right before um, the, the holiday break. Um, you know, we uh, care very much about protecting cancer patients and in, um, in A lot of different aspects, but one of the most important places that we have to protect protect them is at the Hope Lodge in Cleveland. Um, The Hope Lodge is a facility owned by the American Cancer Society, um, where we provide Uh, free lodging uh, for cancer patients who don't live in the Cleveland area and need to um, stay in the Cleveland area to receive their cancer treatment from one of the facilities in in Cleveland. Um, And so the the cancer patient and their caregiver can stay at the Hope Lodge. Um, If House bill 218 passes we then are not able to require um, our staff at the hope lodge to be vaccinated uh, which is something that we absolutely have to do in order to protect um, the cancer patients who stay with us Um, but it's not just the hope lodge Um, all different aspects of um Places and things that cancer patients need access to, like their doctor's office, the clinic, going to the pharmacy, the more people around them that are vaccinated, the less likely um, that they would be uh, contracting COVID-19. And so the more that we can encourage people to get vaccinated, the, the more um, safety net we can create for our immune compromised patients. This bill would essentially say that no uh, business and no um, public or private entity that provides um, a service to the public would be able to require you to be vaccinated or show proof of
0: vaccination. Have you gotten any indication from the governor whether he would sign legislation like that if it came to his desk?
8: Um, we have heard in the past that he uh, would not support this, um, but, you know, the, it's hard to say exactly um what the bill will look like in its final version i mean this house bill 218 originally started as um a bill that wasn't about vaccines at all um i think it was about um extending hours of operation for bars during a state emergency order Hmm. um that language was completely stripped out of the bill, and the vaccine language from a previous bill was added in. Um, so, who knows what this bill will look like once it's finally sent to the governor's desk. But we hope that if it does make it that far, that he would certainly veto it um, out of um, a need to protect Ohioans.
0: And even then, not out of the woods necessarily, because uh, the Republicans at the State House have gotten some uh, legislation kind of related to this passed him.
8: You know, we've seen a lot of policies being passed um, related to the pandemic and um, tying the hands of the governor, unfortunately, um, due to previous executive orders at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and that's unfortunate to see, right? We believe that every level of government, every um, uh, public office holder should be working towards improving the ways that we can um, protect um, Ohioans, protect cancer patients, and get through this pandemic. The the more policies we pass that hinder vaccines or any other ways that we can reduce the spread of COVID-19 will only prolong the pandemic.
0: People who support that type of legislation, though, are always talking about their rights and and uh, you know just against mandates like that. And uh, so, how do you draw a balance between that? Obviously, your interests in it are deeper than what some would be because you're t- you're talking about people who are immunocompromised. But at the same time, it, it is a legitimate rights issue for some people. It would appear.
8: Sure. Yeah. And there's always different ways of looking at policies, right? That come through the state house. Um, and everyone's going to take their, their own position. Um, and we live in a free country, right, where we have lots of, of freedoms and are fortunate to have those. Um, but freedoms and your, your rights stop when they start to harm other people, right? Um, you know, the, the best analogy I can give is that I would love to have the freedom to drive however fast I want down the highway, But if I speed, that puts other people in danger. And so I'm not allowed to speed, right? I have to follow the speed limit. If I don't, then obviously I get pulled over and get cited and things like that. So we put policies in place to uh, protect the well-being of the general public.
0: Talking with Leo Almeida, he is the Ohio Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. Anything else you'd like to add?
8: Um, you know, obviously, this will be a busy year at the State House um, and uh, also a busy year for uh, those running for office since we have a statewide election. Um, so, time is limited at the State House this year. Um, most of the members of the House and Senate are going to want to spend time in their districts. So, with that in mind, we really hope that um, especially House Bill uh, 315, will, the copay accumulator bill, will um, pass the House quickly and get over to the Senate. Again, it's been ten months since it—over ten months since it passed uh, the House Health Committee. Um, So we are definitely over time to to get this bill done.
0: Can uh, folks find out more about your organization and and the efforts that you're making? Information about this?
8: Yeah. So um, you know, folks can visit our website. It's fightcancer.org. Um, And that's our national website, but um, we have um, state-specific pages there. So if they're interested in what we're doing in Ohio, they can visit that website and and check it out.
0: Great. Leo Almeida, uh, Ohio Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. Thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.